episode 48 of Strange Brow Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, again, Tobe Johnson. And today's guest is an extended experiencer of Sasquatch interaction, Paul Graves. Now, he probably would call himself a researcher, but he's got some extended contact here and uh, some audio. We're going to play some of this incredible audio. And Paul Graves is going to walk us through his story and these sounds. But alas, the holidays do approach. And without our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, there would be no interview with Paul Graves. So this is your chance. The holidays are approaching. Yule, Christmas, Hanukkah. Whatever you choose to celebrate during this month of December... Make somebody your best friend and get on Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, and order one of the beautiful drums, rattles, and smudge fans. Alchemy Sound Tools by Feral by Aaron. Okay, next up, Paul Graves from the cold mountains of Wenatchee, Washington. We'll be right back. Our guest today is Paul Graves. Wenatchee, Washington. Now, Paul, I would title as an extended experiencer of Sasquatch interaction amongst all the other titles, researcher, investigator, uh, search and rescue, musician, uh, husband. He has had some incredible encounters along the way, and we're going to talk about some of those and the people he's met that have kind of directed the path he's taken And so Paul also will be playing some audio, and this is a pretty compelling audio. Paul will narrate and explain the details as we march forward with this interview down the trail of Sasquatch from Menachee, Washington. I interview Paul Graves. All right, I have Paul Graves on the phone. It's been a while. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, I'm doing really good, Toby. Thank you very much. Always a, always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, Paul, uh, you know, I have fond memories of your homeland, Wenatchee. I used to drive semi-truck and carry around uh, uh, a lot of Dutch Bros milk products with me. And uh, Paul <laughs> was generous enough to meet me out front of one of the old sleepy saloons. And I was always admiring the neon blue sign behind the bar stool of the six-toed kokanee Sasquatch, which if anybody doesn't know what kokanee has to do with Bigfoot, shame on you. Go Google Renee DeHendon's commercial with kokanee and the six-toed Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's a cool sign. <laughs> it is a cool sign. Yeah, man. So you and I had some adventures, even though they were short-lived and I was sleep-deprived and uh, usually in uniform, we found a way to still get up into some rich habitat. And uh, it's an area that I absolutely love. And I want to go back there because I know you have constant interaction of the hairy kind with uh, everything going on. Not only not only Bigfoot stuff, but as usual, there is this potpourri of other phenomena that uh, litters around it, and we can't help but touch on those. But I wanted to yeah. talk, talk to you, Paul, about um, how things began for you, and just kind of tell people uh, who you are and uh, how you got in 
involved into researching or having them more likely research you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, thanks, Toby. Um, yeah, so basically, um, you know, I grew up in Washington State here, and as everyone knows, Washington State's kind of basically the state in the nation for for you know good research there's there's definitely a lot of um history and and um stuff that goes on in this state and so I'd always heard about them when I was growing up younger um I used to uh in the in my summers up by Leavenworth Washington I went to a place called Camp Field it was a church camp and we would do overnighters. We'd for three nights, we would take kids up into the whole big group, 20, you know, 20 kids up into the woods uh, and sleep for three nights. We do overnighters. We just sleep on the ground. And so, you know, at an early age, I started getting in, into the woods and also my dad and mom, we camped a lot when I was young. And so I'd always been in the woods and heard about these things, you know, and heard stories. Of course, I was wanting to do other things, you know, and it was always kind of on the back of my mind. Um, you know, hearing about these things and stuff. I was and wanted to be a musician and started playing guitar and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, but then it was, it was really, I have to go back to about 19, it was, it was 1988 is really when I jumped into this research full, full force. And I was at, over at my sister's house and there was a show on about Bigfoot and she had a couple over there, friends, friends of hers. And we were all just kind of watching the show or whatever. And, at the end of the show, the guy that was sitting her friend just had his head down kind of, and then he just kind of lifted his head up and he goes, well, you know, I've seen one of those things. And I was like, no way, you know? And that was my first, uh, local encounter, um, that was shared to me by, you know, the guy that, that had seen it. And he went on to tell me what he'd seen and, and the whole nine yards. I mean, this thing was crouched down. He was hunting. It was, you know, and it was October and he'd gone off and, uh, came across this small, small lake tarn. And this thing was across the tarn and it was, it was crouched down in a crouch position. He actually put his rifle up to it and looked and was looking at this thing. And he, he said it was the darndest thing ever. I mean, he said this thing was making faces and grimaces. And he said it was way, way too human to, to shoot it, you know, which is what any good hunter should, you know, they, when people go hunt for something, they should hunt what they're hunting from and not just, think they need to shoot something right off the bat so you know he and he couldn't shoot it because of, of the humanness of it i mean he he literally said it was the most bizarre thing he'd ever seen but scared the crap out of him took off out of there and that was my first introduction into what was going on locally and since that time um my mom was a reporter for wenatchee daily world my dad was a uh, fine arts professor at wenatchee valley college so i just started doing my own local research and, and mainly, you know, seeking out other stories and encounters from people. And I, it was pretty amazing when I started digging in locally here, what I came up with. I mean, there's, there's definitely a history here and, you know, our history goes back to the first inhabitants, um, right behind Wenatchee. There's a, basically the Cascade mountains rise right up behind our town here up to almost 7,000 feet right behind my house here. And there's a, a ridge called Mission Ridge. They put a ski hill up there, and, and the old-timers that would hunt up there would uh, encounter this old-looking guy, wrinkly-faced, hairy, that they called the old man of Mission Ridge. So that was kind of uh, – and then the Wenatchee Indians, actually, the name for the for the Bigfoot Sasquatch people was called Cholonato, which translates to night people, 
literally it translates to night people. So there again, as most Indian tribes, um, you know, they look at this, these Sasquatches as more of a, some type of people, hominid, whatever you want to call it, uh, compared just to a normal type of animal. So uh, showing some intelligence there, you know, they may not be as intelligent as a human as far as like whatever, whatever, but you know, they have intelligence also that are probably more than I think what a human is that we can't grasp quite yet. So. Yeah. And when you're talking about mountain range behind you, people can't really grasp what you mean. Uh, It comes, (laughs) it comes Right. right out of the river drainage and it goes into these sheer, walls uh you know just beautiful yeah snow, this time yeah. i'm sure snow covered walls uh, that surround wenatchee yeah pretty much and i mean and then the enchantments which are a deeper part of it is just right on the edge of leavenworth and there's actually glaciers up there so it can be 100 degrees in town here and i can look right up into the mountains and see snow year-round up there but yeah it's it's literally an amazing place i mean the cascade range you know, literally rises right up behind the, the town here. And there's nothing behind me until you basically get to Seattle, you know, on the other mm-hmm. side. So the habitat a possibility over here, you know, is just second to none. It's some of the best in the world. I mean, literally the, the Cascade mountain range is just an amazing uh, mountain range. You know, they're very rough mountain range, a lot rougher like than the Olympics. You know, the Olympics has a lot of activity too they're not quite as rough of a, as a mountain range as the Cascades are. The Cascades, of course, are much, much bigger. They start up in British Columbia and go all the way down into California. So you've got this huge mountain range and it's just great habitat for these things. You know, there's from one end to the other, there's, there's reports. So, I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, tell me, uh, tell everyone about your, your first clue that the phenomena was legit, Paul. Take us back to one of the first experiences you had. Well, for me, it, it's it's all about the witnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my mom was a, was a newspaper reporter, and I and I watched how she would you know interview people and this and that, and and um, you know when I started interviewing people, just down to earth, normal people, outdoors people, you know, people that that are in the woods, you know about their encounters. And then I've had also four direct members of my family, including my dad and um, another cousin that had a really good close sighting. Actually, that one was in in Mexico, if you can believe that, Um, came right up to his car. But, um, you know, when when you have family, close family members and then close friends that have had encounters, that's right there. That's good enough for me. I mean, bottom line, you know, I, I trust what my dad tells me. I trust what a good friend tells me. And, you know, early on, I got some of these reports from, from some of these people, you know, when Atchie's only so big, you kind of, especially back when I was growing up, you kind of know everybody and everybody kind of knows you. And so the word gets out this and that. And, and, uh, for me, you know, early on, it was definitely, you know, the reports that I was getting and it was, it was the multiple reports. And then it was the multiple things that they were doing that were, that were the same. And and for me, that, that was the interesting thing. It was almost, and it still is, it's almost, 
it's really an investigation. You know, I feel like I'm an investigator more than anything else. You know, I'm an investigator before a researcher or anything like that. You know, I'm investigating this and putting stuff up on the shelf still to this day. And then you can pull it down later and look at it, but it's, it's the consistency that really got me. And, and that's why I started like getting any book I could. This was before the internet when I started researching. So I was getting any book or anything I could just pouring over the details to, to get, you know, clues on, on what these things are doing and, and the consistency from report to report. So yeah, it was some of my early reports, you know, within definitely within the first five years, I mean, I was definitely sold in the history here and, you know, it's, 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 it's silly. It's it's sillier to think that there's this one big giant hoax going around or someone's, you know, dressed up in a suit out here in the woods. I mean, people around here, carry, you know, carry a lot of guns. I mean, you know, it's, it's not a good place to be, you know, jumping around in a suit or whatever. It's just silly to think that though, you know, and then you look at the history, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of written time, you know, I mean, these things just didn't pop out of the corn box the other day, you know, cornflakes box this is this thing's been around for a while you know to to beginning of written time and they called them wild men of course back then and so you know when you really start delving into this and and looking at people go well how come there's no info about these things i'm like because you haven't researched yet (laughs) you know i love uh, renee dahinden's old saying you know if you don't know the facts your opinion has no meaning Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that, that kind of translates a lot today, even even in today with whatever we do, you know, people are so quick to spout off something and then they really haven't researched. And I tell people that and I tell like if even reporters that have gotten a hold of me, it's like, yeah, I want to interview. It's like, okay, well, go research for a few months and get back a hold of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, you know, go, go do your homework for a while and, and then get back <laughs> with me because you know, there's just so much to this, as you know, you know, and so many different aspects to it, too. But definitely, you know, a lot of written history and, and it's been it's just been around for the beginning of time. So it's you can't just put a bad eye to that. You have to look at that. And for me, I don't you know, I was just talking to my, my research partner, Josh, that why are we doing this still? You know, what what is it? And it's it's well, there could be many reasons for that, you know, Um I know that humans have different makeups in us that we don't even know. You know, they say that even some humans could have 5% Neanderthal. Well, now they're coming up with all these other hominids. Well, what if we have something else in us that we don't know, you know? I mean, think about that. You know, even 5 or 10%, you know, that, you, that is a completely different makeup. It's like you go to the doctor. It's like, hey, doc, can you help me with this? It's like, yeah, I'm part Neanderthal right here on this part, but... <laughs> How do they even, you know what I'm saying? We don't even know who or completely what we are, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. That could be one reason. Right. Okay. So let's go back and I'm going to go over some of the details you mentioned here. You're, you're a little bit like me. Um, you're living vicariously at one point, hearing these other reports early on. But then you start to investigate, I'm sure, hot spots go back to one of these hot spots that left an impression with you that you had a moment, uh, a realization, your own personal experience. Right, right, right. Yeah. So hot spots and, and, um, you know, there's definitely areas in the, in, in the out there that they seem to inhabit more 
um, than others. And I think that all comes down to, you know, places that we're not and, and that they can be. Uh, obviously, they don't seem to be like humans for some reason, and they tend to stay away from us for whatever reason, although they're very curious about humans. I mean, that's something that is very obvious to me. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's an area up above around where I live here, um, that I had an encounter with early on. And it was, it was a scream that I'd heard actually was, was the first, was my first, like, Oh my gosh, you know, and and it was close to where we were. And it was definitely something that I had never heard before. I mean, you know, I, I grew up, like I said, in the mountains, been plowing around out here ever since I can, can remember really young. I mean, I started backpacking by myself in the sixth grade, you know, we, our parents let us go when we were in the sixth grade and we'd go up in the mountains. And so, you know, I've been doing it since a young age and pretty used to hearing a lot of different things, but that also got me when I, when I heard this and I had the realization that it could be something different or, you know, our quest a little bit later on, I started looking into, into the sounds and actually started um, analyzing the sounds and recording, trying to get, you know, wildlife recordings of sounds because of the scream that I heard. And, so that's been really, really something cool. And I, I encourage other investigators, you know, to get a small recorder and, and have that definitely in their arsenal. There's ways you can look at sounds um, without hearing them. You can look at them on a spectrograph and you can visually see what the sound is. So all sounds have a, what's called a, a voice print. Basically, it's like a footprint, but it's a voice print. So uh, on a spectrograph, it's going to be a certain shape depending on what the animal or human is. And then also there's a Hertz range that's associated with that um, shape or that voice print. So when you take the voice print and the Hertz range together, you can really start looking at what things are. And, you know, there's only so many North American animals. So, you know, I, I went through and have the full list, you know, coyotes, bears, you know, a bear screaming, doing this, whatever, whatever. And you, and I started dumping all this stuff on my computer and, and um, really learning more about the sounds out there in the, in the woods, you know, right here on your computer, which is a great way to do it. And, um, and then when I would get my wildlife, a possible sound, you know, I could put it in my spectrograph and start seeing what it was not. And so, you know, we definitely have some things that are are very interesting that don't come up as anything else. And so that's when it gets fun, when you start, you know, getting things like that. Right. And there's two different ways, just to clear up this part, if people want to upload their sounds, you would probably go into better detail than I can about theirs. But there's two options. Once you upload these sounds onto your laptop, you can put it in a free program like Audacity and you can upload it into something that kind of looks like an EKG meter. It's just peaks and valleys on a digital waveform. Or you can do what Paul's right. saying and you can upload it and enhance it into Spectrogram and it, uh, it gives you all the nuances that you'd miss otherwise. And in those nuances, in the Hertz level, usually down low are these other sounds. 
Is that what you're alluding right. to, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if you just look at a waveform, you know, you might see some peaks and stuff, but there's stuff that gets lost in a wave. You know, you can still mm -hmm. see your peaks. But once you go to that spectrograph, you know, view, it just totally opens it up. And it's like, oh, oh, there it is right there. I mean, and you can visually see, like, if there's a scream, like one of the ones I sent mm -hmm. you, for instance, you know, that we may hear, it's doing the rah. Mm -hmm. Well, you can visually see that raw, you know, and really analyze what, where the Hertz range is on that. Then you take your sound and you compare it with a known animal. So that's, that's, what's fun, you know, being able to do that. And, um, people what? often ask, you know, well, when you hear something you, and you didn't see it make the sound then how do you know what it is? You know, well, that's, that's one way of, of, of helping you kind of determine that. So. Paul, describe some of the unique attributes that you're looking for on spectrogram that differentiate these sounds from other sounds that make them unique qualifiers for you to further enhance. Let's say you're scrubbing along on Audacity and you see something down in the lower hertz level that's interesting. What are you looking for that says, oh, this is going to be good? Well... A lot of times when they make the, do a scream or whatever, it can be a multiple tone scream, but yet it comes in fairly straight looking on the spectrograph. And a lot of times it's down around that 650 to 800 Hertz range for some reason, um, pretty tight right in that area. And, and that's one thing that I found and others have found, um, over the years, I got a friend, Dave Ellis, that work, does some work for the Olympic Project. He's he's come up with some of that same stuff. Um, we worked together over the years on some of this on some of this sound stuff. But and then there was another uh, guy, the uh, Texas A and M, that I'd sent some sounds to a while back, oh, a couple years back, actually. Now it, it was for a Monster Quest show, and um, he analyzed. Uh, some of my sounds and came up with the same, same type of deal. So, okay. So you mentioned the Olympic project. You, was that one of the first groups that you joined after these initial case studies of long-term witnesses? Did you initiate yourself through the BFRO or how did you, how did this work? Yeah, I, I, so I, you know, literally I didn't think there was anybody else out there that was doing this, you know, I mean, I knew there was a few people I knew like the John green, you know, Don Hinden, there was, there was a few folks out there doing it, but I really didn't think there was, you know, a whole bunch of people. And then all of a sudden I heard about this BFRO back in like 2003, 2004, somewhere in there, um, was kind of intrigued on what, what, what the whole thing was about. I was like, well, there's, there's more, there's more people that are kind of researching and, so there was an ex, my wife actually talked to Matt, um, the very first time and he was putting on an expedition up here in Washington state. And it was actually over in Claylock. Well, I grew up going to Claylock, you know, over on the Washington coast, about 70 miles North of Hoquiam, Aberdeen, beautiful area, right on the Pacific ocean. And my dad, mom, we took, took us kids there. Uh, we, I've been going there ever since I was way little kid my whole life. And we still go there every year. That's, that's just someplace in my heart that I love. And it's a beautiful area over there, but he was putting on an expedition. And so 
I signed up and went over and I met a bunch of other people that were into research and Bigfoot. And it kind of, that kind of blew me away just in that aspect. So I kind of, that was my first introduction to meeting some other people, but you know, it was cool and it was, it was an exciting expedition, the first one or whatever, kind of being new or whatever. But then time went on, I kind of realized that the whole expedition thing really wasn't necessary. You know, I, although, you know, it's, it, be okay to get a group of people to go out and go camping or whatever. That's kind of what I look at. You know, when you say expedition field research, I like to use the word field, field trips or field research expeditions, kind of a big name. It's like, Oh, we're going on an expedition to go search for this monster. And yet really in reality, and this is something that I totally know. And, and I, I totally believe, you know, if you want to see or get close to a, a Bigfoot, just, go camp normal, <laughs> you know, don't look for him. I mean, Bigfoot will definitely find you if, if, if he wants to. So, you know, I tell people that a lot. It's like, you don't need a big expedition. You just go camp with some good friends. You eat some good food, uh, make it a happy camp, be predictable, walking in and out of your camp, try not to walk all over the place. You know? Um, yeah, there's certain, certain things you can do to draw them in. And of course me being a musician, you know, my whole life, ever since I was in my, a teenager, I've taken my guitar with me into the woods. I mean, it's, it's just part of my camping gear. <laughs> Let's just say that. And so, you know, using, using that as a, as a, an attractant also has, seems to have worked, definitely worked over the years. So. Right. And you yeah. mentioned uh, camping happy and happy camp is certainly a hot spot. Maybe that's why it implies that uh, there's laid back folks there for, for them to come uh, spy on. So how long did it take you, Paul, to get your head around that? Because so much of our brain is wired that somehow we're the ultimate, uh, observer, the ultimate predator for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, how did it, how long did this journey take you, you to kind of relax and, uh, observe and be observed? It, 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 you know, it took a number of years and, and part of that was just though through the reports and, you know, what, what are they doing on the reports, you know, and, and, and putting all those. And once you start getting into the hundreds and, you know, and of, of listening to these, you start picking up these details and everything just, it all clicked on, you know, the, on what these things kind of are capable of and kind of the way to approach it then seeing also seeing other people's you know experiences and what what happened with them and it came pretty apparent on really you know the things to do and, and like i said and other people talking to me and, and relaying what they did like for instance this this guy a witness named jim henry that i actually wrote a song about you know we had many many great talks, late night talks, you know, uh, and, and, and his outlook on, you know, cause he had many encounters with, with his Sasquatch that was living near his property, uh, over in the hump tulips area of Washington state. Yeah, uh, anyone know that area? They, they're definitely over there too. I mean, there, that's just, you know, it's one of those areas that you get multiple, multiple reports, you know, over, over years and years and, and some of his, some of his encounters were really quite, quite intriguing. And, and the way that 
the way that he approached the whole thing, you know, and he knew early on too, even though these things were hiding or whatever. And I, I, and this is something that I totally believe in too. I, I really believe that a Sasquatch can feel out a person's um, personality, I guess, for better or worse. And certain people have more, more encounter and, and other people don't. I, that's just something that I've seen over the years. And, definitely something that I believe in. Um, myself, I'm like really open and I have a lot of stuff happen for some, my, and my research partner too, Josh, it's just crazy. And I'll go out with other people and like nothing will, will happen sometime, but you know, certain people, I don't know, there's channels open within them or whatever. And, uh, certain people seem to have definitely more stuff open mm-hmm. to them, I guess. I, I, I don't know how to say that, but um, you, you've seen that, I'm sure, over the years. Sure, sure. Oh. I, uh, let me ask you about that specifically. You said that they have capabilities. What do you mean by capabilities? What are the, exactly they capable of that may s- surprise folks? Well, one thing they're capable of is staying hidden from humans for all this time. You know, we really haven't brought one to the table yet, sort of say, although I know that some of them have been killed. Um, you know, I mean, we could get into that whole thing. <laughs> um, but no, they have capabilities that are definitely beyond what a human is. But, you know, I've talked about this. In fact, in one of my talks that I did at the Lacey, they had uh, down in Lacey, Washington, had uh, Chris Murphy's exhibit this last year for like six months. It was really, really well attended. Um, they said it was one of their best exhibits ever. And they had the opening day, they had some talk talkers in there. Ron Moorhead was in there and I was one of the talkers. And if you go to YouTube, my talk is actually on there and I talk about that a little bit. So, okay. Do what, do you know the link for that for people to get a hold of that? What, where is um, this? I did. I sent that to you, Toby, on okay. your email. Okay, I'll and put so it on that, there. Yeah, that one's there. Yeah, no, thank you. And I haven't really shared that one that much yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just one that I put stuff out, but not a lot. I, I tend to have try to get people to do their own homework and try mm-hmm. to go find the stuff. Um, but okay. yeah, it's out there. Okay, so you're dancing around stuff, Paul, so I'm going to bring it out of you. You're saying that they have capabilities as far as elusiveness, but I believe uh, you have had some pretty unusual encounters and are familiar, particular, with unusual stuff going on, particularly in Wenatchee. Describe for people what exactly you've had happen that would kind of raise the hair. Yeah. So when I talk about, you know, the whatever strange things that they can possibly do. And in that talk, I just real quickly talk that this could be one possibility that the reason that they're doing that, and that would be the penal gland, you know? And so I, I've talked about this before. And, and again, this is just a possibility, but you know, our humans penal gland are, are calcified and, and we really don't use them to our fullest extent for some reason. And I don't know why that is, but if something like a Sasquatch had his penal gland and it was in full function, well, that's, that's a pretty simple thing to, to, for it to be able to do some of the things that it can do. You know what I mean? 
anyway, I just wanted to touch on that for a, for a okay. second as a possibility. Um, you know, because we don't understand the penile gland yet they're there, you know, we have them in humans, but they don't work like they're supposed to. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that for a second. So yeah, some of the things, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of bizarre things have happened in association with this. Um, one thing just a couple of years ago, me and my research partner, Josh, you actually met Josh. So Josh is the one that owns that 160 acres that he grew up on. Oh yes. Yeah. It's, on, the, uh... on the outskirts, outskirts of Wenatchee. And they have a, a, a box Canyon with three Springs in it. And that's how they get the, their water for the house. Um, and their house is literally built on a cliff on two sides. It goes straight down to the bottom of this, box canyon i mean literally off their deck it's straight off but it's all covered in complete jungle-like growth and so josh is 38 now and he saw his first sasquatch on their property when he was 13 years old and um the parents have seen a smaller version of what looks like a, a sasquatch that they had called the mickey mouse man and it was always up in the trees and they'd seen it ever since Josh was born on the property in 1980. And that was the year they bought the property. So they've been there ever since. So a couple of years ago, Josh has just has, has had a number of things happen over the years there. I mean, the things come up and bang on the side of their house all the time, you know, things getting thrown at the house screams. I mean, everything, it, associated with what we think is a Sasquatch, you know, happens around his property. But we were up there a couple of years ago and it was, uh, October 30th. I think it was either Halloween night or the night before and we'd walked up. So he's has one of the oldest orchards, a small highland orchard that backs up into the timber. You've been up there. And, um, we walked up to his orchard above, above where the house is. And it's pretty steep road up there. We got up there and we, immediately heard something over on the other side of the orchard and it, it was banging and like footsteps banging on wood wood knocks huge wood knocks all this stuff going on and, and so i had my night vision and i'm looking over there and we started making a bunch of noise back started banging back and this thing it banged then it banged and then all of a sudden we heard like what sounded like a, a really good growl. I mean, there was definitely something over there. So we're looking at all this and we're, and he gets his phone out and I'm like, we got to film this. We started filming and we're filming through my night vision. We're trying to see something. And then right up above us on the sky, right coming right over the top of the trees. Here's uh, all that I can, that we can describe as a UFO <laughs> and we got it all filmed. We got, so we got the looking for the Bigfoot while this, I mean, classic looking low white light came floating right over the top of us. And we got that all filmed. You know, again, I'm not putting the two together. It was just odd that that happened at the same time. You know what I mean? Describe the light um, for people. Um, bright white light, real slow moving and really super low. Mm -hmm. Large, small? Um, that pretty large, pretty, pretty large. Not, not huge, huge, but it was mm -hmm. good size. Okay. But it seemed, 
smaller, low. smaller yeah. than a car, bigger than a bus? Probably a little smaller than a car. Okay. And silent? And it was silent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And how soon did you see that light after you started initiating a reply from what you thought was a Sasquatch? Like within the first couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was probably five minutes after we'd start encountering the sounds and then that, that happened. So then right after that went by, the mama screamed right up at the edge end of the, the orchard. I mean, just a classic Sasquatch scream, you know, the high pitch and us, it was like, it was like, and when I say mom, I mean, that's just at the back of my head saying, you know, that there was like, maybe a youngster or something playing up there and the mom called it. And cause I've had reports that, that type of thing before, like kids, the younger ones seem to be messing with people or whatever. And the parents seem to st- be back or whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. then she called, she called it in is, is what my, is what our thoughts were. But yeah, I mean, that was the clicker on it here in the scream, you know, with everything else going on, the bangs and the knocks and then the light and then the scream. So, and what was Josh's reaction when he saw that light? Uh, about the same as mine. He was just like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was pretty, pretty surprising. And, and, um, but you know, up at his place, he's a lot of stuff over the years has happened up there. So again, it, it was surprising, but not hugely surprising. Right. Cause um, here's a, here's a guy immersed in it. So I was wondering if yeah. it was less surprised than yours. Yeah, probably for him, maybe a little bit, but mm-hmm. it was still pretty cool just, just because of everything that was going on. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in conjunction. So. And then what's up with this Mickey Mouse? Mickey Mouse man, excuse me. So that's this smaller upright-looking creature that the parents have seen a lot up in there. Um, Josh has seen it a couple times. I think his brother saw it a once or twice also, but, um, just a history of it, this small looking, whatever, um, up in the trees. And it was, it would always usually be up in the trees. So my thoughts are maybe it's a, it's a juvenile Sasquatch. I don't know. You know, that's what Josh thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the parents, you know, I actually talked to both of them and they both confirmed that they had seen something like, like that over the year. And that was the nickname they gave. It was the Mickey mouse man. So, with no reason, there's no uh, no connection to Walt Disney. I'm trying to figure out why they came up with that name. Um, I think it was because I, they said that it had it looked like it had like these small little ears. Okay. On the side of its head. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, but again, you know, it's it's something that they they don't know what it was. I mean, it mm-hmm. was definitely not like a nor. They said it looked like a small little kind of like a person, you know, mm-hmm. but climbing the, tr- but climbing the trees and the, the spring, like I said, they don't, the, the water to their house is all pipes that are literally shoved into the mountain, you know, and there was a history of something messing with these, with the pipes, the, the pipes would always get yanked out. Josh was always as, as a youngster having to go up there and fix the springs. And I remember, reading reports from even back in the John Green days, you know, of, of people of that happening to them, you know, their springs getting messed with. 
springs are super important for for an animal like a sasquatch especially over here in this drier country so uh, and this particular piece of property it's you know no one ever goes in there it's it's all private and then it's their property is actually backed up right to national forest so i mean it's one of these Mm-hmm. changeover pieces of land as you know that can be close but that are literally off limits you know that no one ever goes in there and it's super steep i mean it's hard to hike even back in there i mean it's just like straight up and down well you've been back in there so <laughs> it's like going into uh tora bora in afghanistan it's almost the same yeah. terrain as like yeah you know a war footing in uh you know somewhere a navy seal would turn his head and go nah I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's yeah, pretty no, rugged. Even, yeah, the fire, yeah, the firefighters, when they fight, when they're in here, they're just like, yeah, it whips their ass because it's, <laughs> it's steep country. It really is. <laughs> right. Okay. So Josh, isn't that far from you? So it must be, I mean, you have prime real estate with a long-term witness or as I call them extended experiencer. And so you yeah. have access to where they are. I mean, it's less than, a 15 minute drive from your house. If I remember correct, is that about right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I mean, you can, 15 minutes, I can, you can grab some Wheaties and you can head up into prime real estate and hang out with the phenomena here along the way after, you know, Josh warms up to you, his family warms up to you. Was there any interesting aspects to their family dynamic that says that this phenomena is basically messing with the whole family line? Uh, the genealogy does it go way back i mean how how deep does this rabbit hole yeah. go with josh well it goes right back to the beginning when they first bought the property in 1980 and that was the year that he was born so josh has uh three other brothers so there was four brothers that were brought up on the property his other brother ben's <laughs> also was with him when they when they saw when he had his first encounter when they were 13 years old they had guns with them and they were messing around back there and the parents took off and so they crept back up to to the upper spring there and they were just sitting there and this bigfoot come right out of the spring i mean like right in front of them and it took 20 foot steps going up the up the embankment up towards the orchard in front of them i mean he was just yeah blown away but since that time, he's had, like, he has gifts brought to him also. It's it's really bizarre, or, you know, at least he, that's what he's, he thinks, you know, because, like, oh, a couple months back, right where he parks his truck, right right where his door is, he went out there, and there's this beautiful polished rock that was definitely not from around, you know, where, anywhere around there. And it was right there, like right where he would see it getting into his car. I mean, it was just right next to his door. So, you know, things like that, that he just make you go, hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, his binoculars, that uh, things that get moved, tools that, you know, because he builds trails. He's a, he, he's a big mountain biker, too, and he's built some mountain bike trail on his property. Tools getting moved around, things like that, you know, just odd, odd things. Right. And these go, I mean, these objects appear outside. What about stuff going on inside? Has he ever had items removed or gifted inside his house? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So they had this one room and they had a freezer in it and they would always keep 
a lot of different kinds of food in there and it would always get raided. It was kind of on in their on their back porch carport area. It was a covered carport and it was underneath there. And something was coming in and stealing food out of that. For years that happened and always blame it on on the kids or the neighbors or this or that. And you know, now Josh puts all, all that in perspective and, and realizes there was probably something else going on. So, yeah. And it was an unlocked freezer. It was just, anyway, when he, he, when he first told me that, you know, I didn't say anything about it to him, you know, cause he would just tell me things that happened, you know, over the years, but you know, that's another report that I've heard that's happened a lot, you know, the uh, people's freezers on farms getting raided. So it just shows you, you know, these Sasquatch are definitely opportunist and they're, they're utilizing more resources than people realize. People are like, well, they're the king of the forest. You know, they don't need to, why would they be coming into town into a dumpster? You know what I mean? Right. Well, there's, there's more to it. You know, the, the Russian book that my, my good, another good colleague and friend of mine, John Andrews, who actually moved to Wenatchee, by the way, John's been researching for over 50 years. Great guy. Um, John Andrews. Yeah. He's, you ever want to maybe do a show with him? He's another good, really down to earth, grounded researcher. Right. He talks, I'm writing it down. He talks about, Mm -hmm. okay. He talks about Dmitry Bayanov. He's friends with Dmitry too. And over in Russia, I don't know if you've read this, but there's a book that's been translated by uh, Paul LeBlanc. But in Russia, there's accounts of these Bigfoots when they get like they they live on the edge of these villages over in Russia and the people are very aware of them, but there's actually reports of the older ones getting so old that they finally just give up and they actually come into the villages and, and are, and are turned into servants for the people because the big, the older Bigfoots now it's easier for them to live. And so, I know. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's pretty well, crazy. When no, you think about, I've heard think about, old. I've heard old stories about Sasquatch seen coming into town. Even here on the Oregon coast, near the town of Hebo, there's legend yeah. of Sasquatch wandering through town, and people just kind of like you know watching the whole thing occur. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But can I mean? Could you imagine that a Bigfoot coming into town and just kind of? giving itself up because it's so old and now it wants to be kind of cared for. And so it, it, it kind of turns into a kind of a half servant and then, but the people feed it, you know, and there's a, there's, there's actually a relationship with these villagers and these Bigfoots that's apparently is happening in some of these remote locations in Russia. And so you have to wonder, mm-hmm. does anything like that happened over here? Like you said, I mean, do they get to a certain point where they're, Mm-hmm. they're all almost reaching out to us for some help, you know? And so that, when you, when you think of it that way, you really got to look into the brain of the Sasquatch and go, wow, what are these things? You know, it's like, what is really going on here? <laughs> right. And it, so, okay. I mean, we went through some of the details of the more interesting attributes of Sasquatch and their uh, ability to avoid humans uh, in some case at all costs. And now we're describing mm-hmm. them coming up to Josh's house and leaving shiny rocks. Some of these things I imagine are happening in broad daylight periodically. So what is going on? What's your opinion about how they do this? How do they 
avoid human contact? And do you think it's just purely a physical explanation? You know what? I, I'll tell you what, Toby, I keep a super open mind on, on all that because, as you know, there's a lot of different camps out there, you know, one way or the other. And if you look at all the things that these things are capable of and have done over the years, you have to look at all the things. You can't just turn a blind eye on one thing, but look at it, uh, you know, look at it another way. You have to look at all these things. That's the way I was taught anyway. You know, being a citizen scientist, you, you have to look at everything and then really ask yourself, you know, what's, what's going on here. I keep an open mind and, you know, the answer is I really don't know, you know, it's, that's, that's the, that's one of the tough questions on this thing. Um, you know, um, the, the capabilities of, of why mm -hmm. and really what, you know, what <laughs> are they? Because, you know, you, you do get both sides sometimes, you know, just when you think you you got it figured out, then all of a sudden these things do something. It's like, well, gosh, you know, Mm -hmm. If they're really like some people, you know, they can pop, you know, there's a vibrational thing. Like some people say, you know, they could, they can appear or disappear. Well, you know what? I don't know. I'm not going to shoot someone down for saying that because mm -hmm. I don't know. You've never witnessed it, Paul. Well, what do you mean? You mean the dis just disappearing in front of me? You mean, or well, anything that confused you as far as it being just physical? Have you ever seen anything like that specifically? Well, yeah, I've, yeah, <laughs> my latest encounter. I'll tell you what. About three weeks ago, <sighs> I I basically got run out of the woods. Okay, so I was up, I went up to this area, and the reason I went up to this area is because this family got a hold of me here. And this family was up, at, camped at this area this August and had an encounter. Now, this guy, he's backpacked, he's a real avid outdoors guy, but he had his, had his family and his dogs, young kids, everybody up at this particular area, um, up above a certain area, about an hour outside of Wenatchee really one of my main research habitat areas it's up in the cascades near the cascade crest up near the near the crest of the cascade mountains so they had an encounter they were camped in there and this thing had come into camp and was literally running and banging and screaming all the way around their camp to the point that they were freaked out bad and they literally packed everything up and left well the kid had his phone and was playing a video game on his phone or whatever and there was noise going on and he just happened to click off a photo and they came back the next day but they looked at the photo and it was between these trees and and there's something peeking out from this tree i mean definitely absolutely on this photo i mean it's all i didn't send you the photo i'll send you the two photos well the next day they went back because they were so upset about what happened. You know, this guy's never been run out of a camp in his whole life like this. And they took, they lined the trees up exactly where they got the picture the night before. And there's, there was nothing there. I mean, absolutely nothing there, you know, on the tree. It wasn't like a log sticking out or whatever. So there was something there, you know, absolutely. Well, this guy also found a, a small teepee structure on the outside of camp. And he had told me and John about it. 
Okay. So I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, <laughs> I went in there to camp. So I talked to this guy for a long time and he told me everything that happened. They got out of there, got the picture. So I was like, well, I'm going to go up there. And I'd been up there before. This is an area I know. I know exactly where they were at. So I decided to go up there and this was early November and it had been storming and everything else. I mean, it was cold, nobody out. And I drove up there all, but Josh was supposed to go, but he ended up not going. And it was like, I'm going. So I ended up going, got up there. It was just miserable up there. I mean, I was, it was literally bad, bad weather. Most, you know, no one would ever camp, you know, of course here I am, you know, so I set everything up, got a tarp out, put it over my Jeep got my tent set up, got my little table out, set up, actually started cooking dinner, cooked up some turkey meat. Uh, I was going to make some tacos, whatever. I just got done cooking up my meat and right in front of me, just over to the left, there's a small little Creek and across the Creek, there's a bunch of timber and I'm standing there. And all of a sudden this huge tree just, came down right towards me. I mean, I watched the whole thing. I heard first, it was like, and then right in front of me. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? You know, I mean, I've heard him come down. I got him recorded. I think I even sent you one of the tree coming down, but to, you know, to watch it so close, it just freaked me out. I mean, you should have seen me. I was literally throwing my tent, everything in my Jeep. I was out of there. I just told myself, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm out of here. And I did. I got out of there. Right. And so I got everything loaded up. I just put, I did, I'm just going to say this as a side note. And I'm, I'm heading back down the road. I just pulled out of the, of the camp, just down about a half a mile. And all of a sudden, my lights on my rig started blinking off and on. And that, so that's never happened on my, on my Jeep. Luckily they stayed on, but I, anyway, I just threw that in there as a side note. I don't know what that's all about, but that was odd. So the very next week. Yeah. Unneeded. No, there you go. Sorry. Down go here. Ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So the very next week I, I got a hold of my, my friend, John Andrews, and we decided to go up there and camp. So we went up and camped. We set up a camp. We were the only ones there except for one couple that was day hiking um, that parked in the area. And there's a, there's a gorge trail that goes down through this gorge. It's like a two-mile trail. So they were coming back up, and John just asked him out of the blue. It's like, well, hey, did you guys hear or see anything? He's like, well, about the only thing that happened was a, was a tree branch came flying at us and almost hit us. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I didn't say that to him, but it was just like, you're kidding me. And so these people, you know, so they had said that. So that was odd. So that night, me and John were sitting at the table and uh, Sasquatch definitely came into camp and it's, it did that whistle scream, that perfect whistle scream thing that they can do. And I've heard this in the Blue Mountains before, but it was like standing right over on the edge of camp and made that sound. So we knew we had a visitation. Mm-hmm. Um that that night but yeah no this so i mean well let's let's play some of this audio here because you sent me some clips and in particular the one that struck me well there's seven clips here we're going to play there was definitely the sound of timber falling in the background and your impression although pretty darn good paul doesn't do it justice to what an actual 
Doug fir or whatever size tree. It sounds like a huge Doug fir falling in the yeah. background. So um, help me help you here. We have um, we have a couple of clips here, and they may be mislabeled uh, here. So the timber falling one is that the DB cut boost or is that the cabin camp one? I'm trying to figure out which one to play for folks. We have the extended um, howl and the extended whoop. I want to play the timber one. So let's play the. Uh, you mean the one where the? You mean the one where the tree got knocked out? Comes right, down? right. Why don't we play the? Uh, let's play the uh, DB cut boost and see what we got. And if it's not the timber falling sound, then uh, you can explain what it is. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. I first. think. I think. Oh. Yeah, and I think this extended DB cut might be different. But go ahead and play it, and then I'll let you know. Okay, here we go. This is from the location where the people got ran out of. Okay, so I just played the clip, but you were you were unable to hear it on your end. Is that right? That's right. I could okay. not hear it. Okay. So that was uh, the DB cut boost extended. That that sounded like a really huge roar in the background. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's one that I got up the same area as where the people were camping, but about 10 years before. Okay. So this, this, this one's I've had for quite a while. Yeah. But same area. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's do this, Paul. Let's cut to commercial here, and um, I'm going to fix this technical glitch. And at that point, uh, you'll be able to appreciate these sounds along with the audience here. So, with us again is Paul okay. Graves in Wenatchee, Washington. We'll be right back. This year, make it a Feral by Aaron Christmas or Yule. Imagine above the hearth an empty sock. Stick a Feral by Aaron rattle inside that baby. Underneath the tree, what do I do? I don't know. He or she loves interesting alchemy sound tools. Oh my gosh. Get an elk hide drum or bearskin drum or deerskin drum. Or if you have a Christmas spirit that lingers and it's this time to shuffle off to Buffalo, you may want to look at smudge fans. Feral by Aaron has beautiful crafted museum quality and i mean that alchemy sound tools that's at feral by aaron at etsy.com so hang up a piece of mistletoe get online and make feral by aaron your one-stop shop strange brow radio wishes you and all your family a happy holiday beautiful yule and a merry christmas All right, we're back with Paul Graves, and we figured out what needs to happen here for Paul to hear on his end the audio instead of just me hogging it all. So I was alluding to, and you were telling people about this giant tree that that fell, and I listened to these sounds previously to make sure that they were cleaned up and ready to go. So this was the sound, and now you'll be able to appreciate it and tell us more about it here, is titled Wood Knocks and Tree Knock Over. So let's play that one.
Yeah. Okay, let's play that last part again here. Play that again. Now, Paul, I hear something in the background that sounds like speech. Is that what you hear? Yeah, there's a couple things going on in there that I can't figure out. But yeah, it sounds like like a wood knock or two right before mm. the tree gets knocked over. But then there's also yeah some weird stuff in there that I don't I can't quite figure out. Now, what were you doing when that sound happened? So I was actually asleep in my tent, and my wife was with me, and we were up at this. Uh, one of my really good areas, a really good area just east of, uh, Mount Rainier and, uh, all this stuff happened. So that happened. The laughing chatter, the, the, I sent you one where the, my antenna on my Jeep, mm-hmm. something is coming up and it's going ding, ding. It's like pulling my antenna back. And then my recorder was on a small little metal table that I had right next to where I'm sleeping in my tent. It was right there and something was throwing something and hitting that table. And that's on there too. And this is but all, that was all the, the same night, all the same night. Yeah. And this is exactly where the witnesses got scared out of. Um, no, this actually is a different, this is a different area. This is, okay. this is a completely different area than yeah, the witness okay. area. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we have another sound here. You have a short howl listed. Let's play that one. And you can tell us all about it here. Okay, let's play that again. Okay, tell us a little bit about that sound. Um, is that the one I think from the Olympic Mountains? I think that's the three three toned howl. Okay, and now you um, say three tones because you can see that on spectrogram. Is that how you know that? Uh, no, actually, you hear it. So it 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 goes, you know, it does the whoo. Mm -hmm. so it does three tones but when you look at it on a spectrograph it's all perfectly straight on the spectrograph Mm -hmm. right around that 800 hertz and what's odd is i talk about this in one of my my talks but i took those sounds i'm like well what what are those because i'm a guitar player so i got my guitar out and they were actually a one four five progression so the the the, uh, it was actually one fourth note, fifth mm-hmm. note of a major scale. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, I've heard that before too with wood pop sounds, as though they do that same scale as far as, I guess, the amplitude of the pop. So, in the same huh. manner that you just did that scale on the Hertz level, um, the popping sounds seem to go in threes. That's that's known. But then there's this increase, the slow increase of amplitude of I, if we're going to call these wood knocks or wood pops. Uh, where do you right, st- right? Where do you stand with what wood knocks are? You know, I I totally think that they do it somehow on off their body. I don't think it's a, a, a stick thing or whatever, because I've, I've had um, responses within 
15 seconds in the middle of the winter in the Olympic mountains. And it's like, unless they're holding on to a, a club or, you know, a hard piece of wood that they can instantly make that sound with, then, then that would be the case. But I, I really believe it's something because the one, the one sound that I say, it was like a, it's a really loud poppy sound that, that the same mm-hmm. night it was right in count, but it sounds like just like one of those super loud pop type sounds like poppy, real poppy. And I don't know. I, I just think that there's another way that they can, can do it somehow off their body, whether they're clapping mm-hmm. their hands together, whether they're doing it with their mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think there's just more to it than just taking a, a piece of wood and banging on it on a tree for them anyway, you know, their, their way of making this. The sound. Right. That's my I, thought on it. Yeah. I know we're, we're getting into the weeds here a little technically and the, only the, Sasquatch nerds are going to dig these going, you know, these tangents that I'm going to go on, but that's okay. As far as these nuanced sounds here, long-term witnesses uh, also speak of recording the sound of pop sounds Uh, in particular, the mic head of the microphone being flicked or pop or clicking sound. Do you ever pick those up? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've I've picked Mm -hmm. stuff up like that. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you attribute those to natural? Uh, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I, that's one of those things I'm just not quite mm-hmm. sure yet, but mm-hmm. I know that we get it. So, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. What about the sound of a car door slamming? You ever hear that out in the woods? Uh, yeah, I've heard it, mm-hmm. but I didn't never put one and one together. What it, other than it just being a car door. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's one of the sounds that I'm just chronicling here. I wanted to see if you were picking up on strange car door slams that seemed in, unreasonably close to you. Um, let's go oh. on to uh, laughing chatter. Now, this is a classic here. Um, I didn't have time to clean it up. It sounds pretty good the way it is, but for anybody listening, I would just ask you to maybe turn up the volume a little bit here uh, and go back and, and listen to this again here. But uh, we'll play the laughing chatter and then you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's pretty short. Let's play it one more time. <laughs> now it has kind yeah. of like a, a almost like a zipper laugh quality to it. Where, tell us about I that know, sound. I know. I. I when I first heard it, I thought it was Mr. Ed because it kind of reminds me of a horse, like laughing. You know that. <laughs> and right. you know, again, this was that same night. Uh, all this stuff was recorded within this same night. Um, and I, again, I don't know. You know, I I tried to think maybe is it a barred owl? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but I didn't quite get that when I looked at it in the spectrograph. So again, it's, it's one of these sounds that's just odd. Um, yeah. Yeah. The same, the same night we were camped with, with our friends and we were in the same area and it was near, near this swampy little area and, you know, real rich history of people getting, you know, Bigfoot's coming right into camp in this area. 
and I'm, I'm pretty sure that one had come right in was right on the edge of, of us, but he had taken his garbage sack and just, just for shits and giggles, he tied it off 12 feet up in the tree before he went to bed. And the next morning that his garbage sack was gone 12 feet up. Wow. This is the same night that all this stuff happened. Yeah. Just, just to throw another thing in there, just to let you know. Okay. Now we have three more sounds here. Let's, uh, since we're on a roll here, we're just going to title this one B Lake and let's play B Lake. And you can tell us about that one. That's pretty much it there. Okay. Describe what's happening there, Paul. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. There's that. This is one that I kind of hurt. I hurried and sent it to you and I, I didn't really get a chance to clean it up as best as I'd like to, but I was with my research partner, John Andrews on this one. This is one of my, our main areas we go. I'd say it's at the lake South of Mount Rainier. And, um, so we were in our camp and there was about four of us in there and I kept walking out to the road back and forth because there were people were talking back at the camp and I'd walk out to listen. And there's, there's a big swampy area out there in front of our camp. And I w- walked out there and this thing s- started going off. And so I ran back to camp, got John, John, you need to get here right now. He, he ran over, grabbed his recorder. So we both ended up recording this, but it was your classic like to me, multiple Bigfoot going off type sounds. I mean, the scream, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the screams, but then all, almost like a talk whistle type of scream thing too, that they do. They, there seems to be like this whistle scream that they can do Uh really strange sound. Very, very strange. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, we were lucky, I guess, to get some of it on there, but you can hear us talking a little bit there. Um, again, I didn't, I, that, this is one I didn't get cleaned up, but, um, this is at the area, by the way, just, just to give you a little bit of history of this area. And I've been going to this area for a number of years, but a lot of people have encounters in this area and it's, it's, it's a strange area and a lot of strange things have happened to me. One of the things that happened during this particular was the, the the morning before, where it was, the I guess, the same morning as we got the, the screams. I was woken up about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning by something right outside my tent that sounded like it was crying. Now, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Uh, it was, and it was a big, big sound. It was, it was like, <laughs> like that. I mean, and, uh, another guy was in there, another guitar player 
friend of John's was in the tent just next to me. And I, and I go, Hey, do you hear that? And it was like, I was woken up out of a dream. I thought I was in a dream. So I actually started talking when it was doing this. I, I went, yeah, what, what? And then I started listening to what it was doing. And then I just became terrified. It was like, I'm not going outside my tent. And I yelled over, over to the other guy. Hey, do you hear that? And he goes, yeah, yes. And so I wasn't the only one to heard it, but that was really bizarre. So in this, in a couple of years before that, in this same camp, exact same camp that I'm in, that I'm talking mm-hmm. about right now, I had been there for about four days, set up. My tent was set up next to the fire. So there's a group of us from Washington State that kind of go to this area. And we've been going there for a number of years. So the week after that, this other guy, researcher friend, was in there. He had sent his tent up, and apparently he was in the exact same spot that I'd been the week before because he, he explained where he was, you know, in, in comparison to the firing. And at three o'clock in the morning, he started getting that feeling. This is an area also that where people, and I've had it happen three times, people get infrasounded in this area. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it infrasounded or zapped or whatever, but literally, I've, I've been so terrified one night in this one area that I vowed I'd never go back. And I, I talk about that on, on YouTube. There's a, I talk about it a little, a little bit, but this happens to a lot of people in this area. And, uh, um, where was I getting with before that? We were talking about the, the thing coming up to me. Well, um, we were speaking specifically about this place, uh, uh, east or south of Mount Rainier, um, I think I know where you're speaking yeah. of. I mean, it has several different names to it, and it is one of the more odd locations as far as uh, geography so, okay, so and I, Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. So, so I know where I was at going with this. So basically, this guy was camped, and he he about three o'clock in the morning he started getting that feeling like he was getting zapped or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he started tightening he started tightening up his body and everything. He's laying in his tent. And he just said that something was right outside his tent and it went, Paul, Paul, Paul. Now he told me this and his partner told me this. I mean, two credible guys that I totally believe told me this, like, you know, about a month later or whatever, that my name was spoken three times to him. So right after this thing said my name, it walked over to the other guy's tent and actually pushed its hand all the way into his tent. And this guy could see uh, the Sasquatch's hand right near his face. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Yeah. Paul, are these, <laughs> are, uh, let me ask you this. Are, are, are these, <laughs> are these a type of people? Are the Sasquatch? Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's no doubt that, you know, Yeah. Is that hard for you to Absolutely. say? I mean, uh, are you are you comfortable? No, no, I'm totally comfortable with that. Like, like I said, you know, we we as humans have, mm-hmm. you know, I got I, I am Norwegian descent, and I'm I'm Norwegian, and and uh, you know, some people have five, six, seven percent of Neanderthal or another type of hominin, and that they mm-hmm. don't even know. So, you know, yeah. You know, even in Dimitri's book, I'm I'm actually reading Dimitri's new book, uh, "The Making of Hominology," and uh, I think that's a really good, it's a really good book. I'm not all the way through with it, but you know, he talks about the different 
aspects of where we're going with this and what, you know, they, he, you know, we don't even really know how human being, you know, where we come from or what, or where our name came from or what we really are. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's, it's, there's, there's all these things that are still really unknown with this whole thing mm-hmm. that, um, I just keep an open mind on it. And I think we're going to find some of these, these answers, the, the more that we get into all this. Now, do you think that they knew your name or do you think that they were imitating someone who has said your name and learned it? What's your opinion of that? Well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I, I, I don't know because you talk about the car door thing, you know, slamming. And I, I, we've often said that, you know, I think they can, they tell, they know, a certain car door, you know, or whatever. It's like, Oh, that's Jimmy, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know for sure, but, um, yeah, again, Toby, that's, that's one of those strange, mm-hmm. I think it more than likely it was an imitation from someone calling my name, you know, mm-hmm. cause I've been in there so much someone, uh, but yeah, it's almost like, you feel like they know know who you are personally on a personal basis. It's kind of like you know that the, they're trying to communicate to you personally. Mm-hmm. And of course, this has happened in another area of mine where where all the stick structures appeared right over my one man tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that whole thing. And I sent you the paper to that. There's a there's a paper that's published on Canada website, uh, Sasquatch Canada's website that talks about that. So that was another whole encounter that just blew blew this whole thing out of the water for me when that happened. Um, okay, let's talk yeah. about that because I, I know a little bit about it, but uh, let's take people through the Cliff Notes version of, of what you're talking about. So basically, there's another area, one of my other main research areas. This is not the one near Mount Rainier. This is, this is actually closer to home here. Um, and it's an area I've been going to for many years. And there's a lot to this story. It really kind of is complicated on on some of the things that happened. But basically, been going to this one area and started having the first year, there was just a stick stuck in the ground right where I would park. And when I I'm always the first one back in there in the in the springtime. No one would no one goes back in this area. And there was a stick stuck in the ground on, on this pretty hard dirt. And I think, well, that's kind of weird how that got stuck in there, but it was right where I park the very next year I was in there and I broke, decided to make a new camp area on this flat shelf area that where no one had ever camped. I had to break some tree branches out of the way to get my one man tent in there and, um, set up camp, played music, a lot played my guitar a lot did do did what i usually do you know the whole nine yards um came back two weeks later well there was something that happened in between that time and you know i might as well might as well talk about it because like i said i kind of have to look at everything although i didn't really talk about this for a while but so i'm I'm also a volunteer for Chelan County search and rescue. And, um, there was a lady that went missing right up in my area. I mean, literally within a half a mile away from where my main areas that I've been going to for years. And I'd been there the two weeks before 
at, at my camp area and then all of a sudden got the news that this lady was missing up there. Well, one of my best friends is the lead is the lead climber. And so I called him and I was like, Hey, I need to get on, in on this search. So I got on, I was for one day, I was there on the official search. They were all up there and we grid searched certain areas. And right as soon as I got there, I started hearing some of the stuff that was going on. And, um, one of the strange things was, is the dogs were not getting any hits anywhere. And so they had some of the best dogs in the world in there. I mean, from Snohomish County, they had, they had some really good dogs in there and they weren't getting nothing. And I thought that's, you know, of course that's strange. And then one of the guys was saying, well, yeah, we, but we heard some strange whistles down in this one area. And so I didn't say nothing. I'm just keeping this in the back of my mind. And then we grid searched this other area and these, these two guys were going to go up and climb this little, uh, little nub and just kind of look around up there. So why we waited. So we waited and they climbed up and they came back. The first thing they said when they got back, they were like, well, yeah, we got up there, but we got there and we started hearing what sounded like, I don't know. It was like wood on wood. It was kind of like a wood banging sound. So they're telling me this. And of course I'm not saying anything. I'm just listening. And, uh, so that went on. And then at the end of the day, still nothing's going on. Well, the one search guy did say, he goes, well, the only place my dog got interest parentheses interest was three quarters of a mile back the other way. And, uh, on this trail. And so they decided, well, let's just go back. We'll grid, grid it. It was taped off. So we hiked three quarters of a mile back, about 15 of us. And there was tape on the tree there where, where the dog had got the hit. And so we, decide we were going to grid search in about a hundred yards, but the, the vine maple there was so thick. We made it like 50 feet. It was just like a tangled mess. It was like, there's no way. So this lady that went missing, she was a mushroom picker. She was actually a world renowned mushroom lady from the university of Washington. She'd very well known um, lady and her car was parked right, you know, where I'd been two weeks before or whatever. And her, her metal, uh, mushroom picking pail wasn't found. She had a, a walking stick that wasn't found. Nothing to this day has been found by the way of her. Um, so anyway, so they ended the the official uh, search the very next day. It was, I was in there on a Saturday, the Sunday they called the search off. They'd already been in there a week, called the search off, couldn't find her. I told my, I told Josh, my research partner, we got to go back there and look, you know, I go, this ain't over yet. So we went back that Monday, just to, two days after I'd been there and we hiked, I wanted to go back and go deeper in on that grid search that we did because, you know, I felt we could still find something. So I went back right to where the tape was on the tree where we had grid searched and I turned around and looked into the forest and went, Oh my gosh. And here was this brand new, huge 20 to 30 foot tall teepee looking structure. I mean, absolutely was not there two days before. And I walked over to it and there was a tree. It was about a four inch tree that was broken off and it was jammed upside down in the ground right there. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And so we looked at that photographed all that. Definitely. It was something new that was there. Then we ended up going back down to my, to where I usually sleep on my new camp area. And I, I was, completely blown away that there was like all these stick structures right above where my one man tent was. There was an arch 
it was almost the same height as my tent pole. I mean, it looked like my tent pole, but it was a alder branch that doesn't even grow in that area. It, it was brought up from the creek and it was stuck in the ground. There was a branch going off the top of that that was weaved to these other two trees. One was a cedar and one was a dug fir. that those two were weaved and tied together like with this beautiful knot. So I have all this documented. And then in front of where my head would have been was this small teepee structure like I always had found before with the horizontal stick going through the keyway to hold it tight. And then all these other little sticks stuck in the ground. And then another tree that was weaved at the base of my feet. I mean, literally surrounding where my one-man tent had been was all this stuff that appeared. And, I mean, it was so directional to me that it was just like, you know, I told my wife about it. She's like, well, I think they might like you or something, you know. I mean, that was her first um, impression. (laughs) But, you know, for all this stuff to happen within a two-week period and appear, And so I chronicled that I, for four years, all that stuff stayed in that one area. And this is an area that gets 10 to 20 feet of snow a year. And that even that little teepee stayed up other than getting smashed down a little bit. Um, Yeah. Just stuff that makes you go, Hmm, you know, I mean, big time. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm a real, I, I believe that, they manipulate stuff, you know, but they got to be doing more stuff than just be out there leaving tracks, you know, in the forest. I mean, obviously there's, there's more to these things than that. And I believe it's a type of, uh, it's a communication, uh, slash art. It could be, you know, a gift type of a gift or, or whatever, you know, I, I don't know the whole reason why these things are made or what they are, but I just feel that it is something that, and I do have reports. I got one report of a guy, seeing a Sasquatch and visually take a branch and bend it into an arch. Um, he was fishing on a river and this thing peeked out from the trees and it was taking the branch and it was bending it over in, into an arch type. He, he actually saw a Sasquatch, you know, bend an, uh, a branch in an arch. So, I mean, they have been witnessed doing that. It's, but you know, I mean, they've got to be doing more stuff out there than just leaving footprints in the ground. And I believe that the, the stick structure thing is, is, is a viable Mm-hmm. Um, part of this research, you know. So, well, let's talk about this missing mushroom picker. Do you lay blame at all on Bigfoot for this? Well, uh, there, I again, I don't know. I'm not just. I'm not gonna. It, that's a tough one. It really is. Now, there is a history of of, and it's even up this particular area where that I'm talking about. There was an Indian lady in the 1800s that was taken by a Sasquatch, and for like oh up to a year and then somehow she got let go and was came back and I don't remember if she was pregnant or what happened but she she soon died soon after that but that was up this particular same valley that I'm at now and so the Indians do have a you know a history of these of what they call these things being cannibals or whatever um Mm -hmm. you know I, I, I don't know the relationship with the Sasquatch, with the people, what they do, but, you know, if they are closely related to us, then there's probably, mm-hmm. just like humans, you know, there could be nice Sasquatch and there could be meaner ones, you know, which makes sense. I mean, um, but have you, have yeah, you ever seen, I, 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 I don't know. 
Have you ever seen uh, other things out there, Paula, reports of other cryptids besides Bigfoot that may, may take the blame for this? I mean, if we're not going to put it specifically on the fact that, unfortunately, she got lost and died and hasn't been found yet, if there's some other yeah. responsible party here, are there reports in Wenatchee of other strange, anomalous creatures? Not really. You know, Washington State is... And, you know, I, I hear other report, researchers or whatever think there's dogmen or whatever, I, I and this or that. And um, other than lake monsters, you know, I know there's there's definitely a few lakes in Washington State where definitely some lake Chelan definitely has something in it. Um, guy saw, you know, the three hump with the neck, the whole nine yards just outside of Manson. He lives in Manson. He owns a restaurant there. And he saw it right out his kitchen window. So I know there's lake monsters. Um, I don't. I'm not really into the dog man thing or research the dog man thing. And I, I mm -hmm. personally, I don't believe that they're really around Washington, you know, as much as the Sasquatch anyway. I mean, if there is a dog, man, I don't know. I've mm -hmm. really never been that interested in, in that aspect, I, I'm morally just strictly on the Sasquatch end of things because mm -hmm. of the history and, and what they are. And, but you know, yeah, there's a history of Sasquatch, taking people so you know do i is that possible well yeah do i directly put that on the sasquatch that's what happened to the lady no i can't say that for sure you know and i don't think anybody can really in in reality but mm -hmm. looking at the history with the indians and everything you, you can't you know you you have to you have to look at all that also and just go well hmm you know you so, have a you have a video that you showed me and the video goes something like this. You have a GoPro facing to the back of you and you're hiking near Bluff Creek. And on this video from yes. left, left to right is something fluidly moving, kind of like quicksilver, like black quicksilver from left to right. And it moves up and down in such a quick fluid pattern that you would think it was, I don't know, like a... Like a, like Quicksilver, like a laser pointer on the wall is how I always describe it. Uh, tell people about mm -hmm. that video. Yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, it's still to this day when I look at look at this video, I'm just like. So I was in Northern California, and I'd actually been down there. Um, I'd been hired for the first season of Finding Bigfoot, and to search locations and give GPS coordinates to the helicopters. And Bob, my friend, Bob Gimlin was also down there. I actually drove him back to Washington after the week, but they paid me basically to be down there and go around and, and to camp in the areas after they did their night investigations, I would camp there sometimes alone or sometimes with another guy to see if anything else would happen. And, and definitely stuff happened. I mean, when we were on the Hoopa reservation I was camped there with another guy with Rowdy and and uh we were just sleeping on the ground after they'd had all this crazy stuff happen it's it's on season one like a tr uh, big old rock hit the tree right in front of the, the film crew and stuff they were like freaked out but that night I was sleeping on the ground and my recorder's going and something comes up and starts throwing something at the car you can hear it just hitting the car and then you hear footsteps you know walking so um, there was definitely something there, but the, but the, but the film, so I, I was going to these places 
in this particular place, this was actually at Bluff Creek. It was at a small, another small lake up Bluff Creek where I was at, where I got this footage. And I started recording behind me a long time ago. Actually, my first recorder was mounted on my Jeep and it went into a old VCR. I've been doing this longer than the guy back east. I can't remember his name, but there's some guy that started doing it back east. I think his name's Scott, Scott Carpenter, maybe. Anyway, I've been doing it years before he had started doing it, but I was doing mine off the back of the Jeep. And so then I started doing the, like you said, the small GoPro. I actually had a contour camera and it was mounted on my shoulder backwards. And what's funny is I got into this area and I got a flat tire, uh, the Manzanita down there. When they cut it off, they cut it off at angles. You don't want to pull off off the side of a logging road in Northern California to get a flat tire. That's something I learned right away. But, um, so I was all mad and I was making all this noise and racket for like a half hour while I was changing my tire. Cause I was going to spend the night there at this lake, but because of my tire, I had a, a call early in the morning. So I had to get back to, to get the tire fixed. So I could, but I decided to hike around the lake. So that's when I put my camera on, hiked around the lake. But I, like I said, I'd maybe been making all this noise for a half hour before, like this scream, you know, I was pissed at myself that I had a flat tire and, kicking the dirt, you know, and all that kind of making a ruckus. And then I went on my hike and this thing comes out and, uh, yeah, it's, it's bizarre because it's the, as fast as it's moving, you know, people, people can't put their heads around how fast these things have been seen to move. And that kind of shows it on this, on this piece of film. And so, yeah, I was quite surprised. You know, didn't know that I was even going to get well, anything. But wait, now, Paul, it's not only moving fast in this video. It seems to be distorting. It seems to stop. It seems to rise. Yeah. It seems to roll. Right. It seems to do. Yeah. Before you know it, it's in a tree. It's it's everywhere. It's like uh, non-physical I looking. I know. And I think there was more than one because the one that goes behind me and then there's the other one, like you said, that climbs the tree mm-hmm. behind me when I stop. And I stop for some reason because I think I heard, heard a, a whistle or something. So I'm stopped and I'm looking around and this thing climbs up the tree behind me. And you can, you can see it in the picture of this thing. It's actually holding on to the tree with both arms around it. And then it's peeking its head out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're sitting on a mountain, a mountain of evidence, and we won't have time to get to it all. Uh, I mean, you have game cam footage of a face. Uh, you have an incredible trackway that you've documented called the Sunny Slope Trackway, a truly impressive snow-covered trackway that's less than five years. Everyone should look this up and look uh, Paul Graves up in particular. Uh, Paul, final words for people that are looking into this phenomena that, you know, may want to venture out uh, on their own doing this, what what would you tell somebody like that? Well, you know, just really educate yourself first on the subject, you know, get in, you know, learn about the, you know, I I encourage you to, to read the early books, you know, from John Green, um, John Bendernagel, who was one of my colleagues, a wildlife biologist from, from Canada, just a wonderful guy and researcher. He wrote two books. So John Bendernagel, John Green, Chris Murphy and his books that he's put out, just a wonderful uh, amount of information in his books that he's put out. And so 
you know, catch yourself up on that and then look into the historical reports of the, of these things and what they were, what they were called, you know, early times, and then look at into modern times, what's going on. Uh, Wes Germer, who, who hosts Sasquatch Chronicles, you know, he has a really nice podcast with some, just some great stories. He's a real nice laid back guy. And, you know, you listen to some of the accounts, what's going on there. That's what I encourage people to do. You know, just do your research, really look into this, um, as far as like joining a group or whatever, you know, that's all up to you. I'm really personally not into the groups. I've always done my own research either by myself or with my, my close colleague friends. And I believe that's probably the best way to do it. Not that a group isn't good or whatever. I mean, you know, you have get a group together to talk and share ideas and, and stuff like that. And that's fine. But you know, there's a lot of these groups that seem to push an agenda for this or that. Don't, don't get into an agenda with this thing. Just go out and experience for yourself. And the best way to do that is just to go out into the woods, enjoy the woods for what they are. Don't always be thinking Bigfoot on the back, on your mind. Just do other things in the woods that you enjoy doing. And if Bigfoot's there, he'll let you know, and it, it, it will it will come to you eventually. You will have some sort of an encounter. I mean, a- anybody in this world can have an encounter. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'd say. <laughs> Good advice. What what about uh, anything coming up in 2020? Are you going to be speaking anywhere? Can people find you if they want to meet you? Yeah. So um, last year I, I got invited to the second annual Oregon Bigfoot Festival in Troutdale, Oregon. And I played some of my, I'm, I also have written a whole album of Bigfoot songs and you can find a lot of my songs on YouTube, by the way, I have my own YouTube channel, Paul Graves, and you can Google some of my songs, but I was invited to to play and I actually did a little talk too. Um, and there was over 7,000 people last year at, that came through the Bigfoot Fest. One day, 7,000 people. In fact, they outgrew it. It was at Glen Auto Park there in Troutdale, but they outgrew it. So now they're going to be moving into the fairgrounds for next year. So it could be really, really big next year. But I, I was invited back to that next year. So I'll be speaking or playing some music at that. And I think it's in I can't quote the date. We'll have maybe Toby, we can look that up and put that on your site, but that, that will be coming up. All right. I think they just now, uh, right. They just announced something on Facebook about that. Uh, So they don't, I don't think they have a date lined up yet, but I think in January, 2020, uh, you can look that up. Okay. uh, There'll be something announced and Paul will be there. Yeah. Hey Paul, I appreciate your time coming onto the show and um, we'll be speaking soon. Yeah. Thank you, Toby. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Toby. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. It was good to chat, and thank you so much. You bet. We'll talk to you later. All right, that was Paul Graves of Wenatchee, Washington. And thanks, Paul, for playing and providing some of that beautiful audio. It takes you right out into the field with you, which is always a nice moment there. And... It might be something I go back and try to fiddle with myself to see what we can gleam out of that. You know, any any field audio that's played on this show can be rendered, downloaded, and toyed with on programs like Audacity, which if you haven't messed with that yet, I suggest, you know, I should do a podcast just directly on marrying audio together to programs like Audacity or GarageBand and how to clean it up. Maybe we'll do that down the road and I know just the voice not only Paul Graves but David Ellis uh, would be a good resource for that alright I have an email in here 
from a listener and a follower of Mike Patterson, uh, a friend perhaps of Mike Patterson as well, up in Ontario. If you follow a case called Ontario Sasquatch, it is a case of a extended experiencer up that way. And there's some pretty incredible audio you can catch as well. And so this email is related to some of that talk. I was talking to Mike on the phone the other day, and he asked me to listen to a podcast with you on Beyond the Darkness. He was thrilled to hear that your story is so similar to his own. Lots of confirmation there for sure. I'm sure you've listened to Mike's vocal recordings on his YouTube channel. Yes. So haven't lived near the forest in over a decade, and I used to have some Sasquatch encounters, the invisible type. That's when I lived in the woods in Connecticut. But at the time, I had no idea it was Sasquatch, just something invisible playing with me. I thought maybe, heck, this could be fairies. I used to live ti- leave tiny gifts in the holes of the trees when I'd walk through the woods. So since being friends with Mike, I've had some very cool visits from Sasquatch here, right in my home, in my living room in South Florida. We live in the city and nowhere near the forest. Well, what struck me from your interview was the fact that you said that their vocals have a broadcast quality. I have told Mike that when we spoke about the visits in my house, they sounded like their voices were being broadcast through a transistor radio. No one else, including Mike, ever said that. And for me, that was quite a pleasant validation for me that I wasn't going crazy Thank you so much for sharing your story. It takes a lot of courage to do so in this asleep society. Blessings. Well, that was nice to hear. And there is this broadcast transistor quality. It's almost like an ethereal synthesized hum as well. And these pops, clicks, bangs, whatever they are, before, during, or after these EVPs. So what are these EVPs? We don't know. Uh, They could very well be linked to only some kind of poltergeist or ghost activity, not related to Bigfoot at all. But there's enough of a Sasquatch footprint going right out the ghost doorway that I think, you know, that's why we have this theory that there's this cocktail of paranormal activity. All right, there's another letter here. Let's read this one. When I was 15 years old, I'm 53 now, I got invited to go hunting with my neighbor, Buddy, and his father. We went to a place in Northern California just outside of Paradise, California. One afternoon, I was walking a fire road up on a mountain when in my peripheral, I caught something run across the fire road. I watched it go down a small hill and behind a logging debris pile. I couldn't tell what it was because it moved fast, but I know I clearly saw something. I stayed in place thinking I'd see the deer or whatever it was come out the other side and behind the debris pile. Nothing ever came out from either side of the debris pile, so I slowly started walking down the fire road in the direction of the debris. Figuring whatever it was was still there, it had to be because... I had the debris pile covered. There was no escape. But when I got parallel to the debris pile from above the road, there was something there. Excuse me, there was nothing there. There should have been something there. (laughs) On another day in the same area, on my way back down the camp, I caught something big and black in my peripheral run across the road and into the trees. 
never heard or saw anything after that, so I continued back down to camp. On another day, I was at camp and decided to fish the creek, and it was near camp while I was fishing, and I got a feeling of being watched. I got out of the stream and started looking around. I didn't see or hear anything, and actually the forest was quiet. I kept hearing faint sounds near me. I couldn't figure it out until I saw what was making the noise. Small rocks landing in the leaves around me. Once again, I looked around but couldn't hear or see anything. Then a small boulder came crashing down the hill in my direction. Not at me, but in my direction. That was enough for a 15-year-old. I went back to camp and told nobody. Then, when I was in my 30s, I was sleeping outside in a friend with a friend in the woods at Big Sur, California. I wanted to sleep outside on the deck underneath an old oak tree. Early in the evening, as I was laying there in the forest, it, it got very quiet. So I waited. I heard a branch snap behind me. Then I heard another snap off to the side of me. And then again, a snap in the different directions. I laid there waiting to see what would happen next. Next came the vibration. As I was laying there, I could feel the deck start to vibrate, but it was not physically shaking. It was more like the frequency of a vibration, a tone like a tuning fork. I laid there thinking to myself, this is interesting, but continued to stay calm and see where it was going. Then the vibration intensified or the frequency changed, and when it did, I could feel the pressure on my chest begin to build up. And there was a lightness to me, if that makes sense. Well, when that happened, I got scared. And at that moment, I did. Uh, it all stopped, and all the sound and all the force returned. Now, in my 50s, I started something I've always wanted to do, bow hunt. I love nature and thoroughly enjoy being in the woods, but haven't been hunting since being a kid. My first season hunting is when I experienced the footsteps I already wrote about to you. What was interesting about that is that that evening I was in my tent tossing and turning. I could not fall asleep. It was a little after midnight when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I heard footsteps coming straight at me from outside my tent. I yelled out, Who's there? I could hear my question slowed them down, but they immediately went back to their previous pace and still coming right at me. So then I said, you better get the fuck out of here and grab my handgun. And at that same time, it stopped. I laid there listening. I wanted to see if I could hear the person breathing or walk away. But nothing. Dead silent. Now the weird part. I got super, super sleepy. And I fell asleep. As I wrote in our Facebook message before, my friend and I had the same thing happen at his tent the night before at around the same time. Footsteps walked straight to where his head was and then stopped. One day this morning, one day this spring, I was checking trail cam and I noticed an animal call close to my location. It was calling and moving in my direction, but slightly moving around me. There was something odd about the call, and that is why I started paying attention. I still can't tell you what I found odd about it, but there was something off. Then from behind me, the call got a frickin' reply. The reply was loud, but super, super loud, and it was close. I could feel the reply inside of me, like huge lungs pushed out the reply. Then I heard the calls move away 
and that was it. I already told you about the coyotes running around my camp at night. The only reason I wrote coyotes is because the moment I heard the footfalls coming in, I instantly got an image in my mind of coyotes flowing down the hillside and converging on my camp. That, and I think, I could not think of anything else that would be in a pack, a group, running through the forest at night. I already showed you the odd track print I found two days after mentally whining to myself about how I've never seen a Sasquatch track, and then the next day, boom, weird track showing up. Earlier this year, I rolled into my mountain location about 10 at night. I was sitting in my vehicle organizing some gear, but as I was doing that from time to time, I would think I'd hear talking. But when I'd stop to listen, it would be quiet. Then when I made a noise, I would think I'd hear something again. I'd stop and then it would be quiet again. At about 10.30, I got out of my car and sat on a large boulder. As I was sitting there, I noticed the huge pine cones silhouetted by the night sky that were still pulling down the branches of the trees near me. So I got up with, uh, so I got up with my flashlight and walked over to under the pine tree in hopes of finding some pine seeds on the ground. When I exhausted that idea, I turned around to head back to the boulder and there leaning on the boulder where I had just come from was a long walking stick. I spent the next two hours trying to figure out if I could have missed that stick somehow. There was no way. It was so close that I would have tripped right over it when I got up to look for the pine seeds. Not to mention, I would have noticed it in my headlights when I pulled into the spot. So there you go, my friend. My brief history of weirdness, signed Joel. <laughs> All right, that, that had a lot of details in there that kind of tripped me up, especially this mention of weightlessness and tuning fork. Um, if you know anything about some of the case history that we've d- dissected over the Al Moon Lab... Uh, maybe I haven't gone over that particular detail yet because I'm still processing it. But there was a weightless moment that happened there. And the tuning fork thing is pretty interesting because we just acquired a set of those in our house. And they seem to have some unique qualities, uh, especially when there are there's three of them all played at once. And... That goes down a rabbit hole of part two of Hellier. If you haven't watched this documentary on Amazon Prime, uh, start from the beginning, I guess, and go to chapter two. There's this theory about three tones being played at once uh, and strange activity happening while you're playing these tones. And um, Anyway, there's, uh, there's a story there from a witness that sent me back down a rabbit hole of my own. Interesting letter. Thank you for sending it in to us, Joel. And hope to get more letters like that. If you would like to get in touch with me, you sure can do that at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. Shoot me a letter like Joel did. Um, there's all sorts of interaction uh, going on all around the world. And why keep it to yourself? We can, we can read those letters anonymously or if you'd like to be a guest at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. Let me know and uh, we can get you on the show. 
Also coming up in 2020, our first live show, January 4th at Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. Paranormal researcher Mary Bethune, I'm going to sit down with her for the first time in the library. There's two cozy fireplaces, by the way, in this extended uh, library in this <laughs> haunted castle. If you haven't looked this up, go on strangebowradio.com. There's a link immediately to everything going on at Manresa Castle. And our first guest in the history of the castle, uh, Mr. Eisenbeiss, I think still roams the hallways along with a, a black flo- uh, fog, not a flog. That would be even weirder. There's some kind of black mist or fog roaming through the hallways. Um, and so Mary Bethune is the perfect guest to have uh, come talk and interview in the castle on January 4th, 2020. Book a room. You can go on the castle NPT, INPT.com or just type in Manresa Castle and uh, come on out. Make it a post-Christmas present to yourself for 2020. And we'll be filming that for patron members. So if you'd like to see the show yourself, you can do that. Um, we're going to air the episodes on patreon.com forward slash strange bow radio. This is uh, your place to watch video, extra video content and extra podcasts for a low monthly subscription. And the book is coming along. The Al Moon Lab chapter one is uh, is in its final draft. So by the end of the year, that will be finished, and then we will make that available probably by February or March. Uh, to be realistic about that for one of the first conferences, which I believe is the Oregon Ghost Conference in Seaside, Oregon, where we'll be at. Okay, that's the show, and I will see you next week. And I will also see you in the trees.